Well, it's good to have you with us. I'm Petey. I'm the senior pastor here at CPC. And if I've not met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. Please stop and say hello, baptism families. It's good to have you with us. Hopefully you're not scared off by PG-13 rating on a sermon today. You didn't know what you were getting yourselves into. Let's Let's have some fun, though. I also want to just point out that I did notice a little more Vikings gear today than usual, and uh, I just want to say it's very courageous to wear it after a win uh, on Thursday night, so uh, just kidding. Good to see all of you. Man, I, you know, we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus over the next five, uh, four weeks plus Christmas, and, uh, and uh, historians assure us that at some point in history that people, everyday people, even children, really enjoyed reading genealogies. I know it's hard for some of us to imagine, um, but when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, we learn something. We learn where he comes from. We learn the story that he's born into. And, And when we learn about the story that someone enters into, we learn something about who they are and even what they have come to do. And so the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one starts this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, so Messiah means anointed king. And this is an Old Testament reference. He is the anointed king, the son of David, not literally the son of David in the lineage of David, the son of Abraham. So going back to the very beginning of the Old Testament, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So we'll stop there. I know you want more genealogy right now, but we'll stop there. Uh, So Tamar is the first woman we get to in the lineage of Jesus. And even the inclusion of these four women from the Old Testament in Jesus' lineage, it tells us something, right? It communicates something in a a very uh, patriarchal, male-dominated society in which women normally would not appear in lists like this. It would just be the fathers. It's communicating something that the four women are listed in this story. And we start to learn that that God is, is one who does the surprising and the unexpected. And that he includes and even uses the mistreated and the oppressed and the outsiders and those who are left out that God desires to include them in his family. And if we wanna wanna learn what Christ came to earth to do and the difference it makes in our world, we have to learn the stories of these women. And so we're gonna start with the story of Tamar in Genesis chapter 38 today. Um, And for once, I'm just gonna encourage you to listen along and to not follow along in your Bibles. Because there is language in the text that might distract you from listening to the sermon. I know that makes some of you want to do it anyways. Um, But when we read this story, I think the thing that we're going to see is this. That the power of Christ, the reason Christ comes, is to destroy the power of injustice. The inclusion of Tamar in the family tree of Jesus shows us that when Jesus comes into the world, he comes to destroy the power of injustice in our lives, in our relationships, and in our world. So I'm going to summarize the story of Tamar. I'm going to tell you the story of Tamar. So it begins in Genesis 38. 
In Genesis 38, we have the story of, starts with a man named Judah. And now Judah is the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So Jacob, you see Jacob on there? Jacob is also nicknamed Israel. That's where the name, the nation of Israel comes from. Jacob had 12 sons. Maybe the most famous was one named Joseph. You've heard lots of stories about Joseph in a technicolor coat. Uh, And so Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob, but so is Judah one of the 12 sons. And so Judah, uh, we're told in chapter 38, and chapter 38 is this weird story because all the end of Genesis is the story of Joseph, except chapter 38, which is like, a, it's like an interlude. It's a standalone story of Judah and ultimately about Tamar. And so we get to Judah's story. Judah, it tells us he was living with Jacob, which is normal, living with your ancestors, and he moved to a foreign land. It doesn't tell us why, but we could assume that in that day it was very, uh, it was not customary to move from your, from your father's land, that he had a rift with his family. He had a rift with his father and he decided to go out on his own and he meets a woman and he marries her and lives in foreign land. And so while he's there, he marries this woman. They have three sons. They have three sons and the oldest son, follow along, the oldest son marries a local woman named Tamar. And the scripture does not give us much detail, but it tells us that he was very wicked. And in the context of the story, we could assume his wickedness had to do with mistreating Tamar. And so he was very wicked and God struck him dead. Now let me pause there and say, when we see God intervening in stories, it is not random or arbitrary. It's always for the purposes of continuing his purposes in the world. And so God intervenes and he strikes down the first husband of Tamar. Well, then Tamar is a widow who has no husband and no heir to provide for her. So the custom in their day was when when your husband died, if there was a next son in line, you would be married to that next son in line. And so there was a next son, and Tamar was married to the second son of Judah. And the second son of Judah, it says, was even more wicked than the first. In fact, the Bible says in very creative language that he intentionally went to great lengths to make sure he did not get Tamar pregnant. And there was a reason for this, because if his wife, if his brother's wife, who is now his wife, has a child, he has to split the inheritance with that child and with her. And so he doesn't want to split the inheritance, so he doesn't want to get her pregnant. But what that's doing is it's causing her to not have anyone to provide for her future. With no heir, with no child, she is in a vulnerable space. And so he is being wicked and God strikes him dead. So two husbands, two deaths, and the father-in-law, Judah, says, well, I have a third son, but something's going on here. And I don't want to marry my third son to this woman and for him to die, and then I won't have an heir, and I'll be in a vulnerable place. And so he lies to Tamar, and he says, my youngest son will marry you, but he's not old enough yet, so I'm going to send you away back to your father's house which may not seem like a big deal, but was highly irregular in their day and time and often also would have put an undue burden on the father that would not have been expected to now provide for a, for a daughter who had left the house years ago. And so uh, he sends her away and has no intention of ever bringing her back to marry her to his third son. So now she's left without a husband, without an heir. She is very vulnerable and in a hard place. 
Well, the next thing that happens is Judah, her father-in-law, uh, loses his wife. His wife passes away. He goes through a period of mourning his wife, and then he goes to market uh, to do business. And so she gets wind of the fact that Judah has finished his mourning period, and now he's going to do business. And she thinks, well, Judah lost his wife. He's got to be very lonely. And so she concocts a plan that there's a space, there's a place on the roadside on the way to the market from where Judah lives that prostitutes would set up on the side of the road so that men coming to and from market could, um, could, could partake. And so she decides to go and set up as a prostitute and try to trick Judah as he's on the way to the market. And so she does, and she does anonymously. So obviously, uh, their day and our day, not a favorable profession. And so anonymity was really important. And so she makes herself anonymous, both for her sake and for the sake of, of the man who would, uh, would engage with her. And so she, no one can tell who she is. She's on the side of the road. Sure enough, Judah's on his way to market. He looks over, and he's like, man, I have, I have been lonely. I've lost my wife. And he decides to, to go over and engage with a prostitute on the side of the road. And when he does that, he's, he's with Tamar. He doesn't know it's Tamar. And Tamar says, well, how are you gonna pay me? And he says, well, I'll come back later and I'll pay you. When she says, but, but what, how, do I know, how do I know you're serious? Will you leave with me your staff and your cord and your signet so that I can have proof that you'll come back and pay me? Now, you don't know this, but that's the equivalent of saying, will you leave your credit card and your driver's license with me? And apparently, uh, Judah's in the mood, so he says yes. And he engages with uh, Tamar there as a prostitute and goes about his way. And then I'm going to pick up where the Bible picks up in Genesis 38. You didn't know this was in the Bible, did you? Some of you did not, and you're shocked today. Verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Can you believe this guy? Bring her out, have her burned to death. Verse 25, but as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, to Judah. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Verse 26, Judah recognized them. Of course he did. And he said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. So we'll stop there. So that's the Tamar story. She goes on to have uh, twins. One of those twins, Perez, is in the lineage of Jesus. But the last line that Judah says is really important. She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son. She is more righteous than I. And, and in Hebrew, the words for righteous and justice were basically interchangeable words. So, so Judah is saying, Tamar is more just. So Tamar found herself in this story 
facing injustice, without, without a husband or a male heir to take care of her, she, in that culture, she is as vulnerable as it gets. She is done for. And the thing about injustice is injustice stacks the weight of hopelessness on a person or people. And so many of us would not, would not say like, oh yeah, like we've, we've committed injustice, we've been a part of injustice, we might not identify our own actions that way, but, but I think that a lot of us find ourselves stacking hopelessness against people who are already down and out, either by our action or our inaction. So at the end of this story, what you have are, you have one person, Tamar, who has obtained justice in the midst of an unjust situation. And then you have one person, Judah, who is coming to grips with the role that he has played with perpetuating injustice. And so now I wanna just spend a few minutes helping you see the way that the Tamar story helps us understand the coming of Jesus and what that coming has to do with justice. So I have seven comparisons between uh, Tamar and Jesus. The first is this, Tamar comes to Judah incognito and Jesus comes to the world incognito. He comes not in a flashy show or display, but comes in a humble manger, in a backwater town in the Roman Empire. And so we have this preference as humans, this natural draw to like the flashy and the impressive and the next big thing while God is at work in the unimpressive, the overlooked and the surprising places of the world. Number two, it's easy to write Tamar off because she's not what we expect and it's easy for us to write Jesus off because he wasn't what they expected, right? Uh, tricked her father-in-law by posing as a prostitute? What good can come from that? Born in Nazareth? A man from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? That's what they said about Jesus. Number three, Tamar was judged for going to hard and messy places. It's easy for us to judge Tamar's actions. But Jesus himself was also judged for going to hard and messy places. And so look, this is not in any way to justify or glorify what Tamar did. Not in any way are we trying to justify or glorify her practicing prostitution. That's not the point of this. The point is that she goes to great and messy lengths to try to get justice for her situation. And what we find is that Jesus was criticized constantly for being what? A friend of tax collectors and sinners for going into hard and messy places to get justice. He goes to hard and messy places to get justice for us and for the world. The fourth thing, Tamar exposes Judah's sinfulness and Jesus exposes our sinfulness. Judah was willing to put his daughter-in-law to death for acting as a prostitute, but what, was he willing to, what wasn't he willing to do? Admit that he himself had slept with a prostitute. Hypocrisy is exposed in our stories when Jesus comes near. 
that we are a part of injustice and brokenness and sin. And when the Savior comes, he brings it to light. The Gospel of John introduces Jesus and says what? He is the light of the world. Light reveals and light heals. Jesus exposes our sin, brings it into the light that he might heal it. The fifth thing, Tamar is called, oh sorry, Tamar realigns the line of Judah and Jesus realigns the line of Judah. And so Judah was one of Jacob's sons. He had left home. He was on a wayward trajectory. He was living in brokenness, as we can see from the way that he treated Tamar. But after this story, he goes back home, he falls back in line, and he becomes the the standard bearer for the line that Jesus comes out of. He was restored through this situation. And in the same way, God had chosen a people, Israel, to represent him in the world. And over time, they had lost that way. And Jesus comes into the story and realigns the people of Israel so that their story might glorify God and that the the world might know the God who loves and redeems them. He He realigns the line of Judah. Number six, Tamar is called righteous. And Jesus is called righteous. Right? Judah says Tamar is more righteous. She is more just. In the Old Testament and the New, we have pictures of Jesus being called righteous. Right? Tamar is called righteous because she pursued justice for herself. And Jesus is called righteous because he pursues justice for all of us, for all of creation. And how do they pursue justice? Here's the seventh one. Tamar suffers in her body. She suffers the indignity to make things right. And Jesus suffers in his body. He suffers the indignity of hanging on a cross to make things right, to bring justice. Jesus does for us what any broken or limited attempt at justice or righteousness could never fully do. Like Tamar got justice for herself. But it wouldn't have lasted. More injustice would have come into her story and into the world. It was not a final justice. But New Testament theologian Scott McKnight says that the word justice assumes a standard by which justice can be measured. For a Christian, there is only one standard. It is Jesus. Jesus is what justice looks like. And that's not to over-spiritualize justice. That's not a cheap answer to let us off the hook. It's a powerful answer to invite us into the promises of Christ that when, when Jesus died a sacrificial death, injustice met its worst. It met its end. That the cross and the empty tomb are final. That Jesus gets the last word when it comes to justice. He is making all things right. When, when Christ breaks into our story, we are not condemned to carry the weight of injustice. We all need the weight of sin and injustice lifted off of our lives. Whether it's injustice of our own doing or something that's being done to us, injustice loses its power 
when it comes face to face with Jesus. And that, that, my friends, that is the story that we're invited into, that injustice loses its power when it comes face to face with Christ. That's what we carry forth into the world. We don't have to bring true and final justice, but we know the one who does, and he is writing our story. He is the one that we follow. We need Christ to break into our story. Because the power of Christ breaks the power of injustice. It destroys the power of injustice in our lives, in our relationships, and in our world. Quite simply, we are invited. We are invited by the cross of Christ to submit the injustice of our lives and the injustice of our world to Christ. I just want to encourage you to examine your lives and ask where injustice has a hold on you. To examine our world, the world around you, and ask where injustice is stacking the deck against the hopeless. And what role that we as Christians and the church might be called to play as we offer, as we bring, as we see the power of Christ interject into the stories of injustice and hopelessness in our lives and in the world. I want to invite the band to come back up and prepare for our closing. And I want you to think about this story one more time. In the Tamar and Judah story, there are two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. There is the kind of person like Tamar who has the deck stacked against them. They are suffering under injustice and they need the power of God, the power of Christ to set them free. But there's a second kind of person in the story and it is Judah, right? And Judah represents all the people who are either actively or inactively taking part in oppressing others who live in an unjust world and who either continue to stack the deck or don't lift a finger to help. And those people, the Judas of, of our world, and I would include myself in that, in that group, it's hard, it's easy to live in passive ignorance and it's hard to insert ourselves into complicated and messy places. But we serve a God who breaks the power of injustice, not just for those who are suffering under injustice, but for those who are beholden to its power. Jesus comes for both kinds of people in the story. He comes for all of us that we might know the justice that can only come when Christ sets us free. Amen?